This is How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter on Joy 94.9, the show answering the questions you didn't even know you had. A lot of people ask me, wait, I've heard of a drag queen. What is a drag king? And I usually say that if you can picture what a drag queen is, which most people have an idea of a drag queen, a drag king is kind of the opposite, but not exactly. Drag has moved on from being just about gender illusion. It is kind of broader than that. So it's not just cisgendered women dressing up as macho masculine men. Some drag kings are that, absolutely. But it's also a space for non-binary and trans people to come and play. It's about gender exploration, sexuality, status. What is the story that you want to tell and what is the character that is going to be the vehicle for that story? So it's very creative and it's like fancy dress-ups, but for adults. (laughs) I guess that's how I would describe it. This week's guest is comedian, improviser, producer and drag king Laura Hart. We chat about what drag kings are and why they're so important, how a lot of Laura's previous work helped with her creation of Sydney drag night, The Kings. Plus, how her drag character, and drag in general, helped her to address and conquer certain things she may not have before. When did you yourself start performing drag? So I started five years ago. I kind of have been doing comedy and theatre for a long time and booked this gig performing at a music festival. And it was on this little stage and I was going to do, you know, a few shows over a few days. And I was trying to pick a character that I thought would be really fun for a festival crowd. And that's how I came up with Big Rod, Rodney, who is my drag king. And so he was born out of that in this wonderful festival environment and people just loved Big Rod. Walking around the festival after my set times and have people being like, Big Rod, Big Rod. People just really resonated with him and they just loved him because he's really warm and cheeky and charming and charismatic, but he also has parts of him that are very problematic. And so that's the kind of push and pull with him is that he is very lovable, but at the same time, he has some issues that he's working through. So that's how I started. And then five years ago, from that point, I would perform him occasionally at variety nights, comedy nights, but I couldn't really find many stages for myself in drag. And after waiting five years, that's how I kind of came to the conclusion that it might be best to start my own show. So you need fill a need. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I also like I felt I felt for a long time and I think a lot of creative people have this feeling of imposter syndrome, right? Like who am I to produce my own show? Who am I to do this thing? Surely somebody else is better placed to do this. And I'm sure there is someone who is better placed to do this, but they're not doing it. So I just, after waiting so long, and my only regret is that I did wait so long to start it because, you know, I finally kicked things off in February of this year and the reception has been overwhelmingly positive and it's just been wonderful and it's brought so much joy to so many people and 
it is one of the best decisions that I've ever made. I'm very, you know, in in awe and, and very grateful for the other major drag king show in Sydney, which is Sydney Kings run by Heaps Gay. They've been doing that event for years now, but it's been very sporadic. So last year they only did it once in the whole year. This year they've started to do it more regularly and the scene is really coming back to life and it's just wonderful to be playing in this space with so many cool people. It's clear that drag is important to Laura and that starting her show The Kings has been such a wonderful move for her. I wanted to know if there had been a moment while performing drag that helped her recognise how important it was to her. I think very early on in that one of the first festival shows I did, the piece that I was doing was big rod discovering enthusiastic consent and what that means and so it's very it's very humorous it's you know I'm in comedy um, but it has serious undertones obviously and I had um, a guy in the front row heckle me when I brought up consent and that was really confronting because as Laura as myself I was Mm. like oh oh no, like I, you know, I'm being heckled and what do I say? And I felt unsafe. But then I had this character of Big Rod and I was able to use that to quickly shut down this guy. I think I had a prop that was a a water gun in the shape of a penis. And so I grabbed that out and squirted in his face and and the crowd went wild. They loved it so much. They loved seeing this guy get really put in his place and I thought that was a real moment of me being like yes these stories are important and yes these attitudes still very much exist in the community and so if I can question and examine these attitudes in a funny approachable way that's a really important thing to do performing my own show in February of this year selling out the venue and then having this moment at the end where we all did this boy band mashup group number with choreography. It was so silly, but the audience were up on their feet and we had a standing ovation and, you know, came back out onto the stage and I think I cried. I was so overwhelmed and not expecting that kind of reception at all. So that again was a great reminder that I need to keep doing this. But every time I perform Rod, I have a moment where I go, this is important and I need to keep doing this. Even those variety shows and whatever else I did in between, I do often think, yeah, this is important. In some ways, I said, Laura almost wears a Rod jacket, a sort of shield and alias that helps her address things she otherwise couldn't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting because Rod does provide some protection for Laura. And he is a lot more confident and sexual than I am as a being. And it feels weird to to talk about it in this way, but this is exactly how I think of it, (laughs) is that I'm putting on this costume and it becomes like this armor. And to get quite somber and serious, as someone who has been a survivor of sexual assault, I'm not unfamiliar with the feeling of being unsafe and feeling unsafe in my body and being wary of, you know, confident, powerful men. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with men being confident or powerful, but, you know, in a toxic way. And so for me, Big Rod provides this 
security blanket where Laura might be feel unsafe saying or doing some of these things, but Big Rod doesn't. He has given himself permission to tell this story, and I think that's why it really hits home for me in that way as well. Big Rod is an extension of Laura and has helped her address issues that have very personally affected her. Laura talked more about why Big Rod and drag are important to her. Big Rod has really allowed me to explore topics and tell stories that I didn't know how to tell as myself. So looking at toxic masculinity and really power and power dynamics and sexuality, and these are things that drag has allowed me to really play with and do it in a really creative and fun way and you know I do things as big rod that I wouldn't be able to do as myself it's this weird separation of these different parts of my being and as a queer person I think it can be really hard to to find ways to tell your story and to connect with other queer people and Big Rod has really been the way for me to do that. It combines all these elements of, you know, there's the aesthetic creativity with the makeup and costume and then I get to tell stories in a really beautiful way where I can monologue, I can interact with the audience, I can dance, I can sing, I can do a bit of stand-up. It kind of combines all of my previous theatre and performance skills into one and really that's an ideal format for me to be able to present myself so I I think drag is really really important and it allows people to express themselves in a very different way and connect in a very different way to audiences. In saying that what do you hope that the people in the audience get out of your performances as Big Rod? I first and foremost hope that they like Big Rod. I want him to be lovable I've designed him to be lovable and generally the feedback from the audience is that they love Big Rod that they're surprised at how quick he is my background is in improv so Big Rod's very on his toes and makes a lot of quick remarks but I want them to watch him learning things about the world and about himself and he does learn he has elements of himself that are born out of this toxic masculinity but he's open-minded and he changes and he grows and so if you keep watching the show you get to see him really evolve as a person and I think it's really powerful for the audience to see this very masculine character start to soften and and evolve because often we don't see that we see these hyper-masculine characters that continue to be toxic and don't learn anything and don't grow. So that's what I really want to get. And then beyond all of that, I want them to have a laugh and I want them to just forget the world for a second, as corny as that sounds, just have a wonderful time surrounded by community in this really safe environment that we create. And generally the feedback has been people love love a bit of Big Rod, even though he's a <laughs> problematic at times <laughs> yeah <laughs> but again that's in your design so that's really cool we spoke earlier about how there used to be quite a big drag king scene in sydney but it kind of it went away for a little while and i think that actually in today's society even though shows like yours are coming up drag kings aren't necessarily as popular as drag queens why do you think that there is a stigma sometimes towards drag kings 
I have heard, I mean, people have told me drag kings don't make money. They just don't. There is no point to invest in drag kings because they don't make money like queens do. And you can see how queens have been really successful in, you know, providing a commercial product. I am always so over the moon when I see drag queens in commercials, you know, and there's a few at the moment that, if you know, you can see drag queens in and their shows sell really well and their kind of fringe events, drag queen bingo and drag queen trivia and, you know, all of that is very commercially successful. And it's just the... The kind of overwhelming opinion is that drag kings don't have the same broad appeal. People don't know what to do with them and they're not going to make money and they're not going to sell tickets. So obviously my (laughs) secret evil plan is to (laughs) prove that all wrong (laughs) Um, because I think that kings do have incredible commercial appeal, but it has been difficult because, again, when you think about drag, a lot of people don't see it in this way but drag is a male dominated culture and most people who are outside of that culture don't see it that way because drag queens are presenting in a feminine way but at the end of the day it is overwhelmingly cisgendered men there are of course some fantastic trans and non-binary queens there's even bio queens and bio queens refers to a performer who is AFAB, assigned female at birth, cisgendered woman dressing up as a queen. But even bio queens are often shunned from the rest of the broader community, not seen as a quote-unquote real queen. I don't have any issues with the drag queen community. I think they're phenomenal. I regularly go out and support them and see shows, and I think they need as much love and attention as they can get. I'm a full-on drag queen cheerleader but I do aim to change that perception that women and non-binary and trans people don't belong in drag and that kings aren't as appealing to a broader audience as queens are and I think one thing that I have seen with Big Rod is that he does appeal to an audience outside of the queer community so whilst he has this incredible connection with the queer community I also have a lot of heterosexual people coming up to me and saying, I love him. He's so great. He makes me laugh. He reminds me of my uncle. He reminds me of my dad. Or <laughs> And so I think that perception is slightly changing, but we have a long way to go. And I think drag queens have continued to make giant strides. If you look at the past couple of decades, drag queens used to be in the position that drag kings are in now. So we really need queens to help kings and kind of pull us up to their level. And it's something that I'm working on. And I know a lot of people are doing incredible work to try and prove that perception wrong. So on a personal level, Laura is very connected to drag. It's the passion for what drag and specifically drag kings allowed that led to Laura starting the Kings in Sydney. How did Laura actually go about starting a drag night? That is a great question. I feel like every time you say something, I want to say, that's a great question. Um, (laughs) You're asking great questions. Thank you. That's definitely something I wondered myself. How do you go from, I have this idea for a show and I've identified a gap 
in the market to getting it on a stage regularly. With the that theatre in particular, they are very supportive of queer art and independent theatre and so they're a very kind of supportive, safe place to start. I had been performing there for years as an improviser and a comedian doing various shows. So I was very familiar with the space, with the type of programming that they did, with their key demographic. So I asked to set up a meeting with the manager and pitch uh, a few shows to her. And I was able to take all of that information that I had collected over years of knowing exactly what their program and who they're speaking to and say, hey, here's my show and here's why I think it fits with what you're doing but is, again, a point of difference to anything else you have in your lineup currently. So I pitched uh, The Kings, I pitched a couple of other shows, and The Kings was really the one that was the most ready to go and the one that I was kind of the most motivated about. So then we sat down and they had a think about it. They were really positive and they agreed that they don't see Drag Kings at all much around Sydney aside from the odd show here or there so they could see that gap and the potential there and they also were familiar with my work from watching me perform at their venue so then from there we looked at how do we want to do it how often do we want to do it I had pitched it originally as this monthly show because the point of it is to build up the community and they were on board for that so we booked in the show they said all right here you go you've got the stage time they sent a contract we decided how we were going to do it financially with the percentage of ticket sales etc they put it up on their website and it was like green light go do it do the thing (laughs) terrifying (laughs) (laughs) yeah but also like so exciting so exciting yeah it was really really great and then you know the imposter syndrome the inner critic voice comes out and goes holy beep I don't know if I'm allowed to say (laughs) holy beep um I what am I doing what am I doing and then once I started just going okay one step at a time what do you need to do first you need to find the talent Laura your skill a part of your career has been in finding talent so tick, you know, I, I host the show as Big Rod. Well, I'm an improviser, I'm a comedian. Tick, I can do that. Okay, you've got to market it. Well, I have a degree in communications. You know, it's very basic graphic design work on our <laughs> social media, but I can do that, you know. So it was just reminding myself, yes, I have this basic skill set. I asked people for help when I needed it and everyone has been really enthusiastic and supportive so that's that's kind of how it worked for me and I would just say to people you know it's unlikely that you'll be tapped on the shoulder by a venue to say hey we want you to do something so turn around and tap them on the shoulder (laughs) organize and organize a meeting and if they say no doesn't make a difference you know pick another venue do your research come in really prepared and charm the pants off them (laughs) (laughs) it seems like a lot of laura's previous work and study had really created a great foundation of skills for starting her show it did feel like it was a bit serendipitous like it all kind of fell into place and then once it did fall into place I was like oh this is what I'm supposed to be doing (laughs) 
Because, you know, doing communications in theatre at university, coming out of that, I was like, oh, I have all these different kind of skills and I don't know what to do with them. So I've worked for a while in talent agencies, so on the representation side of things. Then I worked in casting, so kind of on the other side of things. Um, I've worked as a performer. I also teach improv and facilitate creative workshops. I've worked a lot with young people and not-for-profits, so I kind of have this very broad net of things that I have done, but they all lend themselves really well to producing and drag in particular. Here Laura thinks about the accessibility of drag and why some people are deterred, but shouldn't be. One thing that I thought about was if you have a look at the drag that's readily available, so for example, RuPaul's Drag Race, one thing that stopped me for a long time doing drag was that I thought, I can't afford a lace front real hair wig and I don't have the skills to sew a costume and I am someone in a larger body, so I can't just walk into a store and buy something off the rack. So for a long time, I was like, there were these really practical things that were getting in the way of me doing it. I just thought I can't, I'm I'm not going to look like what those queens look like. And then really just giving myself permission to do it anyway, to say, buy a jacket online, take it home, get some hot glue, bedazzle it yourself. Don't worry so much about your makeup. It doesn't matter that you buy your makeup from the grocery store. It's okay that you're in this larger body and you don't see a lot of that represented on stage and in the arts in general just giving myself permission to do it in the way that was right for me because there were definitely skills that I didn't have at the very beginning and I'm getting better at my makeup and building my confidence and investing in you know professional drag makeup costuming is still something that's difficult for me I often roped my mum in to help me (laughs) make things (laughs) but that was another thing that I think if anyone's listening and they're like I really want to do this but I I don't have you know a a budget and you know I don't have those skills you can do it anyway and really it's more important that you're telling a story and you're doing something that really is meaningful to you than how glamorous you look because the glamour will grab the audience in the very beginning, but then after 30 seconds, you have to have something to back that up. If you are AFAB, so you have breasts, you don't need to bind them if you don't want to. And you don't need to pack your pants if you don't want to. And you don't need to stick on facial hair if you don't want to. (laughs) So, you know, I did a post recently on my social media where I gave a shout out to drag kings who have their breasts out their tits out I think is what I the phrase that I use (laughs) um shout out to kings with their tits out and I had someone message me and say I didn't know I could do that you know I've got incredibly large chest and I have been taping it to the side you know taping it down to create this illusion of a flat chest and it's painful because of their chest size and they didn't want to do it and I was like you don't have to do it you know like we're moving past that stage I think where everything is in this scene and viewed in this gender binary drag kings don't fit into that and that's okay as well so it doesn't matter what your gender identity is it doesn't matter what your body looks like it doesn't have to look a particular way in order for you to be able to do this I 
Laura Hart give you permission to do it however you want to do it and however feels safe and comfortable for you. So sometimes I do strap down and bind my chest. I'm actually waiting for a fantastic Melbourne-based binder company called Amore Binders. They're about to get their online store up and I'm just absolutely so excited to buy a binder from them because they're a fantastic independent company so I'm excited to get that binder and some shows I use gaff or masking tape on my chest other shows I don't I just have my chest as it is normally and some people get very confused by that Uh, that that's another thing that I think some people think it may prevent some people from starting out in drag is this idea of gender and their relationship with their body and how they need to present in a masculine way. And I would say they're great considerations to have. What is my character? How do I want to present them? But don't let it stop you from doing it. There are some phenomenal trans and non-binary kings. There are phenomenal kings that, you know, are a hyper-masculine character, but they perform with their chest out, with, you know, a, a gaff tape crossed on their nipples. You know, it's really quite broad and that can be part of the fun and part of the exploration there. Even though it is an aesthetic, it's not really about a specific gender aesthetic. Yeah, and make it your own. Like, what does your, what is your unique aesthetic? And you can play with it. You know, like Big Rod is constantly evolving and he kind of looks slightly different each time I perform him. So, yeah, but there are some trademarks of my look at the same time. So, yeah, just play with it. To be totally honest here, the more Laura talks about being a drag king, the more I want to try it. I've been a stand-up comedian for five years and recently got disenchanted by the whole scene. Laura and I chat about what that feels like and ways people have combated that in the arts. Some people might, might be familiar with Zoe Coombs Ma, who won the Barry for her performance of Dave. And... Dave is a drag king. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like people don't, um, you know, I don't know. I don't even think, I mean, I've spoken to Zoe and she's keen to do some drag, but that, you know, her critique on the toxic cis gender masculinity in the standout community was Dave. And it was literally an award winning show. Yeah. So I, that show was so good. And I also did stand up for a while and I started out, I had, early success and then very quickly was incredibly disheartened and stopped performing because mm. there were a few things that happened but I remember going to one show in particular and um, there was just a, a comedian who was telling wildly offensive jokes and his material was so off and I left I walked out of that show and messaged the organizer to say hey i this is what happened. I felt really uncomfortable. And, you know, his response was like, well, I'm not going to stop booking that person. And this was, I was a little bit younger. I was incredibly disheartened. And I thought, I don't, I don't want to hang around every night in these spaces. I don't, I'm not feeling creative or fun or safe. I'm not laughing (laughs) at these other comedians a lot of the time because their jokes are offensive and I'm not a delicate wallflower I can take a joke but it was just like I'm not having fun there's this idea that you have to you know as a as a woman in comedy you have to go through years of these 
you know, shitty open mics and, and deal with the overrepresentation of cis men. And it's like, oh, but I, that's so tiring. You think about your privilege, well, my privilege as a white person. And I think about people of color who are in that position of, again, just being like, I'm so tired of fighting and being in spaces where I don't feel accepted and comfortable. And, and I'm, it's, it's tiring. It's work. And it can be exhausting and it's fair, you know, for people to go, I need a break. (laughs) I need a break or I need you to come to me. I need someone to come to me and give me the opportunities, people to acknowledge their privilege and their power and to use that to lift other people up rather than for minorities to be doing all of the legwork. And I think that's a massive issue in this industry and we continue to see it in casting, in film, television and theatre. We continue to see it in stand-up comedy, in lineups, in the people that are being given the microphone and money and stage time. And that has been a major consideration as a producer. I am acutely aware that I am in a position of power and I am deciding who gets in front of that audience, who gets paid, who gets stage time. And I'm not perfect. I have a lot of work to do, but it has been really important to me to amplify certain voices. So, you know, all of my headliners are people of color. I have a lot of non-binary and trans people represented. It's incredibly important that I'm giving space and stepping aside for these voices because it's bloody exhausting for these people to exist in the arts which should be you know a utopia where everyone's welcome and it's you know but it's not easy it's hard work so if I can make that work or lighten the load for a short amount of time then that's what I'll try to do that is what Laura has been trying to do with her monthly show at the giant dwarf in Sydney called the kings Laura talks more about how you yes you could watch the show The Kings is live streamed. We have a theatre technician at the back of the theatre who we've got six cameras set up. He does live switching. It's all very fancy. Previously, like a couple of months ago when Melbourne was like in deep, deep lockdown, the tickets were free for anyone in Melbourne or Victoria. So if you are in Melbourne or anywhere else in Australia and you would like to watch the show, you can it's in Sydney, but you can watch it live streamed if you go to the Giant Dwarf website. And if you have financial barriers, go to Instagram. The Instagram for the show slash for me is at the Drag Kings. Slide into my DMs and say, hey, I want to watch the show, but I don't have any cash. And I will make sure that you have access to it. For more information, head to at the Drag Kings on Instagram. My conversation with Laura has been not only super informative, but a really great exploration of an art form that is sometimes overlooked. I'll leave you with Laura and how she comes up with new content for Big Rod. You know, the way that I create my act as Big Rod is I put, I'll be in the car. I spend a lot of time in my car driving around. I'll have the radio on or I'll have, you know, a streaming service on. I'm trying not to use brand names. (laughs) (laughs) A streaming service on or the radio and I'll hear a song and it'll spark something in me and I'll go, oh, that's interesting. Okay. What if I took that and I combined it with this song or this bit of audio and then I did this and that's where my act creation starts because I do a new act every month. And so that's what I would say. Listen to music, find a song that jumps out at you for whatever reason and start there. Start lip syncing in your car, start lip syncing in the shower, you know. 
that's how the the juices get flowing. Thanks for listening to another episode of How Do You Do That with Emily Tresseter. If you think you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, get in touch. Email howdoyoudothat at joy.org.au. 